Hi, Jolie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dana. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You are speaking one of the favorite topics around our practice because we do work with a lot of clients that identify as consensual or ethical non-monogamy or also potentially as polyamorous. And so some people who just may be listening to this are like, what did you just say? I don't know what that term is. So I brought an expert on so that we can talk about these things. So give us some definitions from your perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I think right now, the best way to think about it is that, you know, consensual non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy, those are umbrella terms, mm-hmm. and they could mean anything to anyone. So always ask a follow-up question. <laughs> Whenever somebody <laughs> says, I'm consensually non-monogamous, yeah. cool, how does that work for you is your next yeah. question. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing I like to describe is that, you know, even polyamory. So most people who are in the world um, of relationships know that we're talking about openness to emotional and sexual connection, except the word polyamory gets used widely too. So I meet people every day who are using that word, but they actually maybe have some limits around emotional connection and maybe they haven't learned yet. So I'm going to say there are definitions, but the most important definition is going to come from the person you're talking to. So you just said a term that may be confusing to someone listening. You're saying emotional connection. And I think that if I'm a lay person that doesn't hang out in this world, I might be like, but Jolie, aren't you talking about having sex with people? What do, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Why are you saying emotional connection? Are they not having sex? So that seems to be something that comes up a lot. So can you address yeah. that? Yeah. So I I think that a lot of people forget that whenever we're building any relationship, we're we're choosing which domains of intimacy we're going to engage in. So if I'm making a new friendship, I may come into that friendship understanding that, oh, we're going to have some emotional closeness. If I come into a friendship, I probably am not expecting that I would have sexual closeness. Hmm. But where exactly is the line where something crosses into what about sensual or physical closeness? Like, is it okay to sit on the couch with my friend and hang out and watch a movie and be touching? Is it okay to be holding hands somewhere? Is it, would that fall? What is that? What exactly is emotional intimacy? How close is too close? Um, Mm. And when I say too close, I mean by that monogamous standard. So I don't think there's one way we can define and say, okay, here's what emotional intimacy would look like in a non-monogamous relationship. Nope, because just like in every relationship anywhere, it's going to depend on who you are, who the person you're relating to is, and what the two of you agree on. And that's where the word consensual gets really, really helpful. It's going to be about the conversation that you have where you get clear on what is it that you want out of this relationship now and what where would you like to aim the boat, say. Mm. And for some people who are coming from a very monogamous mindset, yeah. there's an imagination that we all know where the line is, where the line is, where something goes from being a friend and this is okay and totally kosher and fine and we don't have to worry about it over into uh, nope, you crossed the line and now we're, and I'm going to use great big air quotes here, emotionally cheating, right? Or having an emotional affair. Where's that line? That's where I think the non-monogamous community is having a really interesting conversation around where is that line? What what defines a relationship as an intimate one exactly, or or even as a romantic one? 
So it's tricky to give definitions because most of us, and I know for myself, when I was in the monogamous world, like ensconced in it, and that's where I, I grounded myself, I didn't think about it. I just started relationships and followed what I thought was the default setting of correct. And it turned out that my settings weren't necessarily the same as everyone else's. And that's where we get into these kerfuffles with our friends where somebody thinks somebody is emotionally cheating and somebody else thinks there's been a physical line crossed. Or maybe you get into an argument with your partner because you feel like texting someone isn't okay, or it's only okay during these hours. But if it's after those hours, now it's crossed the line into emotional cheating. I'm tired just thinking about yeah, it. Honestly. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of monogamous people now that are like, I'm sorry, my brain just got lost somewhere. And yeah. what you're saying is so that we simplify it. What I took away from what you're saying is there has to be some kind of conversation. There can't be assumptions and expectations and projection. That's, yeah. that's what I'm hearing you say. I want everyone to move things from the implicit expectations, what we think are the norms, into explicit agreements. Mm. And that means we have to have conversations. And most of us will need some vocabulary upgrades to have those conversations because we, we don't even know what we need to ask. Mm. So that's normal. So if you feel confused by this part of the conversation, yeah, you're in good company. Most of us are confused about this part, but you're right. It's about making things really explicit through conversation. Well, and I think that the, I'm apologizing to those that may take offense to this, but the rigidity around it being, oh, I don't know what that means. That seems too big. That seems too overwhelming is there's a fear component, right? And so I'm trying to manage my fear by having boxes and borders around things so that I know what to expect so that I give myself this sort of faux sense that I have things figured out and that I can have an expectation that makes me feel like I have control. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling I it, most of us want to feel safe, right? <laughs> like that's most of the time we want to play maybe at the edges of our safety, but most of us want to feel safe and we're seeking that in our relationships. And it's, it's normal to seek some simplicity in, in that goal of safety, except simplicity that comes from not talking or simplicity that comes from saying, that's just too big or too much. Or mm. I just want uh, something I just heard literally this morning from a client. That's just too complicated. Relationships shouldn't be that much work. And I I get the premise. Like I think relationships should have an element of flow and like generative yumminess to them. And it's complicated to relate to a whole other human, let alone if you want to relate to multiple other humans, it's complicated. So we do need to allow it to be a little complex and to let ourselves be in the messy, figuring out what does intimacy mean to me? What action, and then what does it mean to me? What does it mean to this person I want to relate to? And where can we find our happy overlap? Like where, because that's where the relationship is, ideally. Would a first conversation talk about what each partner's perspective about commitment looks like to them? Like, how do they view commitment? What do they maybe visualize it as or what behaviors are happening in commitment? Like, is that a good starting place for a, a partnership? Yeah, I think it depends on what exactly you're trying to build. So if 
if I'm out dating with the goal to build either one or multiple committed relationships, then commitment's a great place to start. But let's say I'm out dating right now primarily to make casual connection, maybe have sensual fun, then I wouldn't necessarily have the that conversation. I would instead encourage conversations about what casual is to you. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. and, and how do you like, I would want to talk about communication standards. When do you want to be contacted? How much? What sort mm. of information do you want to share? And what do you not want to share? Mm. If you're talking about multiple partners, do you have other partners who I just could be aware of so I know that they exist? I don't need to necessarily meet them, but do I? can I at least know who's in your world? Because if somebody can't provide me with that level of intel, I'm probably going to have trouble communicating with them about se more sensitive issues. Mm. So it, it really depends on what the goal is of the relationship building. And I think a lot of us, you know, we spend say our twenties, maybe into our thirties, like, like focused on like finding the one, Yeah. but what if you're not doing that? What if you're actually just finding community through connection, through dating, different set of conversations. Definitely. Yeah. It sounds more like there's a curiosity approach versus a set of rules that you're imposing on someone that I only have sex with one person at a time. And if you're dating me, you're dating exclusively. And I'm not, and like the list of things is now sort of maybe taking some people off the table that might've been a good match for you. Had you not so narrowly defined what it is that you're willing to consider. Right. Right. And and it's also fair to to say that many people will not be a good fit for any of us at, at any given time, right? So just the dating process, if we start off from the premise that all relationships are aiming at a goal of committed togetherness, that's, I mean, now we're talking about uh, something called the relationship escalator, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but the the idea that all relationships follow this this one way, this unidirectional hierarchical, I'm going to rise in importance to this person. That's not the only way that mm -hmm. we can create relationships, but it is like how most of us were raised to imagine, especially romantic relationships, but even friendships, there can be this sense of like, we have to keep proceeding and progressing or, you know, toward this like deeper intimacy. But what if, what if we break that and it, and we, and we say, what if your relationships are uh, just a place for you to be curious. Mm -hmm. What if some relationships serve the purpose of deep friendship? What if some serve an intimate sexual connection? What if some of them are about building family, chosen family and, and deep community? What if them are, are just, they change over time. You know, you shift in and out of some of these realms. Mm -hmm. That is a conversation. I think anyone, no matter what relationship style you're seeking, if you can have that conversation first with yourself, you're going to have an easier time of then going and connecting to other people. What I love about what you just said is that you normalized what's happening in a lot of relationships that we are having, the, those of us on the receiving end that are maybe not riding the escalator, let's just say for friendship to make this less scary for people, right? If I meet you and we're at a conference together and we have coffee and then we only like visit at conferences and I thought we had this escalator of, I keep reaching out and I wanna deepen our friendship and you're just not feeling it. Right. There's the potential for you to experience guilt and shame or for me to like 
beat myself up that I'm not interesting enough. And what you're basically saying is there's all different flavors of friendship or relationships or connection. And just because you're not rising on the escalator doesn't mean you didn't have value or it wasn't meaningful. It's just maybe you have different approaches. Right. Or maybe it's not the right time. I've had mm. people who entered my world first in in one realm, you know, maybe we were developing a friendship, maybe it expands into this something I might even call a best friendship. And mm. then at some point, there's sort of a crest of that wave and like, oh, maybe we're not in that spot with each other anymore. If you can allow yourself to experience um, what polyamorous and consensual non-monogamous tend to call de-escalation, mm. if you can allow yourself to, what if we reorganize? What if this isn't about endings and it's about whatever comes next. And that is, that is high level relationship skill right there. And, but I don't think it's just about non-monogamy at all, because mm. if you can do that in your friendships, you will have a much better time of weathering, especially through, through parenting and midlife, all the changes that happen as you, as you move in and out of phase pretty fast. Like, yeah. What if, what if you got to renegotiate your relationships at any stage along the way? just because that's what was needed by either of you. So I know that we're going to talk about this. How will then that push up against my ego? What will I have to be able to let go of or restructure in the way that I view jealousy, which is something that you're really good about addressing, right? In yeah. you know, consensual non-monogamy, they're, they're for those of that are not used to it, there's this idea called compersion, right? Which is, I'm happy for you having experiences that bring you joy. I think of it as like, I'm excited that you get to go to Disneyland, even if I don't get to go, because I love knowing that you got to have that experience and that opportunity. That really does straddle a line with me having envy or feeling jealous that you have an experience that I'm not participating in, or my ego telling me that I should be the person that you want to do those experiences with. How, how much does that push up against trying to learn how to do this expression of relationship? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I studied jealousy through qualitative research, which means that I'm asking people to share these like yeah, what amount to sticky kind of deep, dark stories of ugh, that comes up when I feel that there is a threat to my valued love bond, right? I have this valued relationship, a connection to the other, could be a friend, doesn't have to be somebody you're having sex with, but I feel that and I feel an interruption. And when I, when that jealousy comes up, most of us experience jealousy from a, a very immature place, which makes sense because jealousy can be spotted in infants as young as six months old. And since it can, right? Like, so we see jealousy that early. We know that jealousy first forms very, very early. And then we don't talk about it again. It forms to keep you connected to your primary caregiver. Makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. But then I have yet to meet an adult who said, oh yeah, my parents did a good job of teaching me what to do with jealousy. And I asked, I've asked, thousands of people. Like, what did your parents teach you about jealousy? No one has ever had anything to report. And it's sad because a lot of these people were able to say, oh yeah, I, you know, they told me about sadness and anger, other difficult to manage yeah, emotions, sure. but they don't have any skills. So jealousy, we tend to feel fr from a very em emotionally immature spot when it comes up. And yeah, it would be great if compersion, if the, the idea of joy for my partner's joy, if it just like magically appeared, but the research does not bear that out. For most of us, 
compersion or moving out of jealousy into a space where we can at least be neutral and be in what we might call attitudinal compersion, just being in that space, it takes effort. It takes active effort. And you said, you know, what, what does my ego need to deal with? Yeah. What, what does my ego need to deal with? What do I need to do to allow myself space where I don't point my fingers at another person and say, you have to change exactly what you're doing because I have this feeling. Because when I'm angry, that's not a helpful response. If I'm sad, that's not a helpful response. If I'm sad and I point my fingers to somebody else, it's not going to fix my sad. But with jealousy, we we get kind of confused and we tend to think if I'm jealous, the first thing that needs to happen is my partner needs to fix it. Mm. They need to fix it. And really jealousy is just like all other emotions. It begins within. You start working on it from inside of you. But a lot of us just don't know how to even identify when we're feeling jealous because we also feel shame when we feel jealousy. And if you feel shame attached to anything, then you're likely to shove it under the rug or call it something else, call it anything else. So jealousy is one of the big issues that we have to work with. If anyone is exploring non-monogamy or just unpacking their friendships and trying to get off the friendship escalator, even if you're doing any of that, you got to deal with the fact that jealousy is natural and normal. There's nothing wrong with it. And the information it's giving you might even be accurate. Like it has really powerful information. If my partner is betraying me by violating agreements, or if a friend really is ignoring me and, and intentionally creating distance between us by, by inviting a third to like interrupt or a sort of like a Heather's situation. Like if we're, if we're yeah. in that, right, whenever that's happening, that's real. I don't want jealousy to go away because I want to be able to now turn to my partner and yeah, have very important conversations about behavior agreements about how we get back into repair with each other. But the, the, the desire we have to imagine that we never have to feel jealous, that we just never have to feel envy, it's just not realistic. We we experience jealousy and envy because they're normal emotions. So yeah, one of the things we'll have to do is just let that be true and let it not mean something bad about us. We have to yes. make a decision to like, no, it doesn't mean anything about you. It's telling you something. I, I love that because I in my work with couples, I often have to and get to give them psychoeducation that no emotions are bad. They're just right. strictly information, right? right? It's not like I have to pretend it's not happening, push it away, beat myself up, experience the guilt and shame for having the jealousy. For me, in my experience, clients that are experiencing jealousy, that possibly means a healthy boundary that you need to set, right? Yeah. And, and so the way that that can be sort of in, in the conversation that we're having is if I'm feeling jealousy because my partner is with their metamore and they're lost in their new relationship energy and they're not remembering to pick the kids up from school and they're not participating in household chores and I'm feeling overburdened because I'm not also doing the things that we had an agreement to share about in our child rearing or whatever that situation is, that's appropriate for me to kind of sit down and be like, is it jealousy or is there a boundary that I need to set about, are you able to make your commitments that you've made to everyone in your life a priority because it's not feeling like that right now and can we adjust or address or talk about how we're gonna navigate this moving forward because this feeling, I don't like it, and I'm, I'm 
I'm having some validity around it. It's not just going to be dismissed as jealousy. It's going to be that there's an unfairness that's happening. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's my, um, that that's what put my, puts my antenna up. If somebody says, oh, it's just jealousy. Often what they're trying to do is diminish the idea that the problem needs to be looked at, but mm -hmm. jealousy does, it's providing us information. It's not just jealousy. It's jealousy. Yeah. And it's not just insecurity. Sometimes insecurity is part of the picture sure. and that also needs to get worked with. But I, what you just mentioned, those are all really important things, having boundary conversations, having agreement, all of that. But I think of that as actually step four mm. in the jealousy roadmap, like that's step four. And okay. most people skip steps one, two, and three uh -huh. because there's this fear of naming jealousy. There's this fear that if I name jealousy now, I, I have to deal with the fact that I feel jealous. And for some people, that's incredibly Icky. stigmatizing, like internally, like, Ugh, I don't want to admit it. And so first, I just need people to notice that you feel jealous and name it and let that be okay. Because jealousy is the indicator. Like I don't, <laughs> the number of times somebody has sat with me in session and described a situation. And I say, so you're describing a situation where you are experiencing a real, a threat to your, to the connection you have with someone else. That's jealousy. Okay. Now let's, let's deal with the fact that the sooner you notice that, because many people let it go on for a very long time because they don't want to bring it up because they're like, ugh, I shouldn't be feeling jealousy. I should just Especially, work through it on my own. I should just yeah. not mention it and go. I should just not mention it. Be a good poly person. <laughs> <laughs> that whole notion. It's not a real thing. Um, but as if, if you were doing all your work, you just wouldn't experience jealousy. Mm -hmm. But there's where we have to get more curious about the emotion itself and what it has to tell us. And it might also have things to say about um, like how you hold your relationships. Mm -hmm. Did you actually make agreements? That's a big part of step four for me. When I'm navigating needs, I want to know, tell me, there are a lot of implicit assumptions in most people's day-to-day -day lives around what they expect from their partner. Have you dealt with that? Have you made actual agreements? Because once NRE, a new relationship energy, enters the picture, yeah, probably some people are going to drop some balls, some stuff's going to happen, and we need to have conversations. But if you've never actually made clear agreements, if you were just living the default, like, hey, we, we have a house together, we have kids together, therefore all of these things happen, if it was by default, then it's going to be really hard to get into the nitty gritty of, okay, what would it look like to hold those priorities? What would it look like to balance multiple competing priorities? Because I, I could, at any moment, my partner might say, well, I never agreed to that. I never agreed to pick the kids up. I never agreed. Like it's just been assumed that I would, what if I don't want to? And that is hugely problematic. It's also why the emotional and physical labor of running a household tends to fall one direction as we're having more and more conversations about this. I have seven kids. God knows. I know. About I don't this. know. I don't know how you have no wrinkles. How do you have seven children? <laughs> I think just good zoom filters. I think that's it. <laughs> I, I find it, you know, wonderful that we're having these conversations about how the emotional and physical labor of running a household has tended to land on cisgender women in heterosexual relationships. And, um, we need to make the agreements about this and we need to start doing it earlier and earlier. So now I don't start any relationship without having relationship agreements that are, I prefer them to be in writing. In fact, I mm. prefer to get it really, especially if it's about stuff that's going to happen, physical stuff that's going to happen in our house. Yeah. That includes, for instance, I have teenagers. 
you know, the emotional labor that goes with <laughs> teenagers. And so I like to have it written down. Like who really, who handles a lovesick teenager in our house? Is it both of us? Is it one of us? Who's going to do that? Because once wow. you start naming that stuff, mm. all of a sudden it becomes really obvious why when, <laughs> when NRE or some other interrupter shows up, all of a sudden we're like, Ugh, I feel burdened. Why do you feel burdened? Because you were probably burdened unduly before, but mm. now you have a place to pinpoint and say, it's because of this. Mm. So I need people to actually wind it back a little yeah. bit and get into the nitty gritty of how does your relationship work? Do you have, do you have clear agreements? Do you have repair processes? Do you have processes to make new agreements? Or do you think that agreements should be made and then that's it? They're just in place forever because mm. that doesn't tend to work either. We need to be You're able saying to they're a living them. document that we need to exactly. continually sort of, so I practice the Gottman method and we have this idea of what's the state of our union and we have regular check-ins about like what's working, what's not working. Do we need to address some of our agreements right. or our roles or the things that we've made a decision about that may have been impacted by numerous things, not just our relationship status. And so how do we readdress what's still working for us? Yeah. yeah. And how do we celebrate what is working? Like, cause that's the other piece mm. that we get to do. If you revisit. Um, so I put people when they're, when they're opening, I ask people to start having check-ins weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly at different, of different sizes. You know, there are these different sizes of check-ins that we do and it feels like a lot, but really it's, it's just the maintenance that goes on anyways. It's just that you're naming it and saying, oh, we're going to, we're going to put a little box around it. We're going to create a container. So our calendar can hold this revisiting for us. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about the complexities of, oh, now there's also new sexual partners, new friendships, new deep, intimate friendships. Hmm. That's going to bring up more stuff for a lot of us, especially if we're moving from monogamy to non-monogamy that brings up more stuff, which means the check-ins become all the more important. Like it's not that they weren't important before, they were always important. So a lot of times people come to me and I, I introduce this technology of like, okay, we're gonna have a very formal agreement process, a very formal repair process, a very formal check-ins process. Those are the three like big formal pieces. And when I when they feel overwhelmed by that, I'm like, I wish that you'd been told that this was a normal thing for relationships the whole time. Mm. But but I know I got married for the first time when I was 20. Nobody told me that I should do any of that. Yeah. So it's not that these same technologies aren't valuable for monogamous relationships. They are. They absolutely are. It's just that we weren't introduced to them. And so we, we go along and we get along. Mm. And now if you want to do something a little bit more complicated and you want to do it really well, mm. We can make that easier by getting a little bit more, um, a little more structured we, and we let the structure hold some of this complexity, but the tools, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. If you go, if you decide you're going to hang with monogamy because it works for you, awesome. You can keep all those same pieces in place and it'll make things flow more smoothly. That's great that you say that because a lot of uh, clients that contact our office wanting to like get started, right? They're wanting to have a structure to it. And I find that interesting because these are the same partners that weren't looking for a structure when there was just the two of them. It's like, yeah, exactly. Oh, really? All righty then. 
Yeah. You touched on some phrases that I think would be great for you to kind of um, describe a little bit more for the audience. Because again, in speaking about the calls that we get at my office, it's often like, so we're wanting to open up our relationship and we want to come in and set, set some rules. And I kind of chuckle because I don't think that, well, I know that they don't understand the difference between boundaries, rules, and agreements. And yes. you've referenced agreements quite a few times. And I think it would be easy for people to miss who are not familiar that there's a difference between rules and agreements and boundaries. So I would love the expert to give us a chat about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're having a lot of conversations about boundaries in our like cultural melu. Mm -hmm. So boundaries being what I will do with my body, time, energy, resources, when you take certain actions or when your behavior is a certain way, like it's, mm -hmm. it's all about what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And, and then a, a rule, I understand the idea behind wanting a rule. And to some degree there's semantics, you know, like, yes, we, we could, we could talk about the rules, but typically rules are things that I want to have and apply to someone else. I want to say kind of toss it at a person without it bouncing back at you. Yeah. And to, to have it be, like, I want it to be a rule as in, if you break it, you are the loser or you're bad, right? Like the, it's the implication. So to my mind, the, the word rules does have, uh, there, there is some problem, some problematic energy. Negative connotation. It. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it tends to put us in a place where we're thinking about winners and losers, or we're thinking about people who are, are good and are following the rules or bad and aren't. And it, that just isn't a very relational stance. So it tends to, it tends to break down over time. Mm -hmm. It might be okay for a weekend away at, you know, a, a hedonist event. Mm -hmm. It tends to not be good for relationships. So I work a lot on agreements and my agreement process is threefold. I like for people to think about agreements as an ongoing conversation, as well as a living document. And that conversation has to do with me talking about my needs, wants, and boundaries, the boundaries are in there, mm -hmm. and you talking about your needs, wants, and boundaries. And then for us to address the space between us and all the different ways that we would like to have those needs, wants, and boundaries observed and how we'd like to have them met. And this is where it gets really nuanced because a lot of us try to sit down and make a relationship agreement that will hold our whole relationship right from the get-go. Like, okay, we're going to open up. Let's make our relationship agreement or let's make our relationship rules. But you don't know anything. You don't have the data that you need at that point. You don't actually know how your body is going to feel when you come face to face with jealousy this way. You don't necessarily know what it will feel like to now have a partner who maybe was all up in your shiznit all the time and now is out. So I like to teach agreements in this threefold process where first we make minimum viable agreements. Minimum viable agreements are short duration. They're experimental. They're designed to be revisited in one to four weeks. Very mm. short. Okay. From there. And I have a very clear process, like very tight, small, and we pick like one domain to explore in. So maybe we're talking about sexual contact. Maybe we're talking about emotional contact. Maybe we're talking about I, like being friends with someone, but we try to keep it small, right? So that we can just explore for a week or a few weeks mm. being expansive. And then from there, I can get into the the bigger conversations about what I call the holistic relationship agreement. And that unfolds in many conversations where we talk about, well, what do we want out of our family building? 
How do we want to hold our householding together? Um, how are we going to handle dating and the money that dating requires? Mm. What are we going to do about that? Mm. Those are big conversations that are worth having and all of them together. So in my current um, relationship agreement guide, I think there are 22, 25 separate conversations that you could have. Not everybody needs to have all of them. If you don't have children, sure. don't have those conversations. But there are 25 different domains that I can think of that need to be delved into to tease out what is the space between us? And that doesn't mean I write down every detail of what what's allowed and what's not allowed. It's it's about how do I want to be in this relationship? How do I want to show up? Mm-hmm. And after you practice that for several months, weeks, years, usually years goes on, um, then you might get to a spot where you can hold a relationship philosophy and the, and the philosophy can kind of like hold both of you. Like if you're in a primary partnership, say, and you're like, yeah, we, we understand at core how we show up to this relationship because we've been doing this so long and because we've screwed it up so many different ways and then repaired. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find people often try to just jump to the philosophy and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, we just believe in the tenets of open love. So, you know, love is love is love. We'll just choose love over and over and over. It'll like, sort itself out. It'll sort itself out. And I'm like, eh, will it though? Because that's not <laughs> what I see in my office. <laughs> I'm not seeing it just magically sort itself out. Instead, it sorts itself out through conversation. And most people need starting blocks for those conversations because we didn't know to have them. And then we go out and we take actions. And then we start arguing about the stuff that happened rather than having the conversations about who we want to be and how we want to show up for each other. So it's Much lovely to be attracted to a theory and to have a mission statement and to be in alignment with our values and it feel very ethereal and like floaty and like just good vibes. But if we don't then have something that sets out what are our principles moving forward and what are the actual steps that we're going to take that don't feel punitive by the calling them rules, that they're just this agreement that we've both decided to give each other as a gift, because I'm not required to do anything by virtue of the fact I'm in a relationship with you, that if we can view it as how would I want to gift my partner knowing that I'd like them to gift me the same way, mm-hmm. can we navigate something that is a living document that we will have to continually address, not because that's a burden, but because our relationships are gonna evolve and change. Right, and that will also give us space to call out where we where we do hold things asymmetrically. And that's that can be okay, because my gift to you does not need to be the same as what you give to me, because we're mm. different people. And so an agreement can be this more nuanced conversation of, really meeting the needs of the individuals in any given relationship and hopefully making space for them to be growth oriented and and not just allowing, but encouraging each other to grow and change. So we have that revisiting piece back in. So agreements automatically get revisited periodically so that we we know that what we're agreeing to is valid for the time I'm in now, like not not me of 10 years ago, but the time I'm in actually now. Great. I love, mm. I could, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of this very, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's progressive. It's, it's here to stay. And I think having conversations like you're having where it's normalized and you're kind of giving some very practical tools about how to keep yourself from getting in trouble and, and not having yeah. a good experience is really valuable. And I appreciate that you're willing to share your wisdom with us. 
Mm, I appreciate you just like getting the word out too, just like that. And because these skills, they apply to all kinds of relationships. Absolutely. So, yeah. So tell, uh, tell us about your program because you have one and we have other ways people can connect with you. Yeah. So if you're interested in my jealousy work, you should go to jealousyroadmap.com. You can just grab that because there's a nice little workbook. It'll just walk you through the jealousy roadmap. And that came directly out of my doctoral research and my later research. So that's great. Jealousyroadmap.com. But if you are considering opening and you're not sure whether this is the right thing for you, I would encourage you to go to joliequiz.com. Take the quiz that's there. And that's going to tell you whether you are over on the side of like, you know what, there's actually a lot of work that needs to happen behind the scenes before you open. It's good to know that. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Yes, yes. Or if you're way over on the side of, yeah, let's go. Let's get some structures. Then you might be the right fit for the year of opening. The year of opening is a whole year. I, I literally require people to get into a whole year container with me. Most people want to learn how to open so that they can open next week. I'm like, I hear you, but I burned my life to the ground that way. I promise you there is a better way. So we get together every week for a year and we support each other in, in bringing this structure and normalizing the fact that structured relationships are really, really juicy and they can be really fun and playful and we need to know how to do that. We need to practice them. So we can't do it overnight, but the year of opening is a place where we practice that in small, tight communities that, are, that stay together for a whole year, which is lovely. Thank you for creating a safe container for that to happen, Jolie. Oh, it's my pleasure. It is genuinely my pleasure. Well, it's genuinely been my pleasure to have you on the podcast and you are just as delightful as I thought you'd be. And uh, I would love to have you back at some point so we can talk about some more of these issues that are going to continue to exist. And we all are going to need to have words of wisdom like you have to help us navigate it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. Thanks for tuning into the D-Spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil, and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.